0: Like uh, like you said, I'm not Patrick. I'm Jared. Uh, Patrick is, is has been gone for a while and has been um, pursuing uh, the future direction of of the church. Um, am I muted? Am I okay? I'm good. Great. Um, so Patrick has been pursuing God and and what New City will look like. And he um, was like, "Does anyone want to preach?" And I was too dumb to say no. And so I'm here. Um, it's good to be with you all. Um, I'm going to recap for us the, the previous couple weeks, just so we kind of know where we're at in in the journey. And, and uh, the, the messages don't, it's not uh, serial, it's episodic, right? So it's okay if you miss a few episodes. Um, but just just to kind of recap some of the, the lessons we've learned from Peter so far. So week one, we looked at Peter's life and um, looked at his legacy. And he has an incredible legacy. Peter's legacy... Um, has well outlasted his life, right? He um, is the father of the most uh, influential religious and maybe even political office in history. Um, He has uh, performed miracles. He was the most influential leader in the early church. Everyone looked to him, and we looked at a story where he uh, was successful and impressive, right? He stood up in front of the very group that uh, was responsible for pushing through Jesus's crucifixion, and he stood up to him and said, I'm not going to stop, right? And this is, this is incredible. But we also learned that you can't separate, in Peter's life, you can't separate his legacy from his failures. And he's got some pretty big ones. He's got some pretty significant failures, and we looked at um, one aspect of his legacy, his probably, maybe his most important aspect, is that he found his worth in Christ. That really what enabled him to live a more than average life to have a more than average legacy is that he found his worth in Christ. And, and the big point for, for week one is, is loving Christ is the only way we can be sure of our worth. Loving Christ is the only way we can be sure of our worth because when we love Christ, we're not loving someone who only loves us in return if we do good things. We're not loving someone whose love is limited. We're not loving someone, we're not entering a relationship with someone who's saying, I'll love you as long as you do better. We're loving someone, we're entering into a relationship with someone who loves us in the midst of our deepest failures, our worst memories. Jesus was there, and he loves us there. And so that's, uh, that was week one. Week two, um, we looked at this story called the Transfiguration, which is one of my favorites in, in the Bible. It's the story where Jesus glows, and uh, I, uh, my wife really likes this description. I, he, he went full Thor Ragnarok, um, there's like lightning coming out from places, and um, And Peter, uh, in this moment, uh, we we see reasons that that we don't worship Jesus. We don't really worship. And we talked about worship in that moment being surrendering, um, surrendering to God. And we don't like that word surrender, right? We don't have a great history in humanity of, of surrendering, right? It's usually someone surrendering to someone bad or someone stronger. It's a war or conflict word, but we looked at when we, when we surrender to Jesus, what we're really doing is that we're listening to him and we're seeing who he really is. And we're surrendering to someone like no one else in human history. We're surrendering to someone, right, who loved us in the midst of our failures. We're surrendering to a good king, a servant king. And so the legacy that I want to leave that, that we talked about that week was a legacy of worshiping the only one who's worthy. That we want to—that Jesus is worth the worship— He's the only one worthy of worship, and that is how to leave a more than legacy, a legacy that lasts. So that's where we've been the previous couple weeks, and this week we're gonna um, talk about the word trust, um, but before we do that, I wanna, I wanna tell a story, and I'm sorry, I've got a speck on my glass glasses, and uh, I, I fear it might be my bagel, and I don't know how that happened. That's okay. Ah, the bagel's gone. So, um, Trust this th- this week, and, and uh, I'll tell us a tale of two Jareds, okay? A tale of two Jareds. The first Jared um, is not me. I'm the second Jared. Uh, spoilers. Uh, I'm, I'm the second Jared. The first Jared was uh, a leader um, in in a group that I was with, and um, the first Jared took us. We, we did a, a little two-week trip just to cross-cultural experience to Beijing, China, and just to learn a different culture, to, to be in a different place. And we go to, we go to Beijing with Jared. And, and Jared is this uh, responsible, smart, trustworthy guy. He is a stalwart man. And, and so we, we implicitly just give Jared his, you know, trust. And um, one night we realized the next day we were going to go uh, walk on the Great Wall. Now, if you've ever been to the Great Wall, the Great Wall is not like your suburban fence, it is a wall over mountains, and so uh, Jared realized he only had flip-flops. He was entirely unprepared for this journey, and so he realizes this at about seven. And uh, we do some I don't googling or whatever the Chinese equivalent is, and we and we find out that there's this place that's still open till about nine, and we've got to go. And so uh, we all follow Jared, even though he. You know, it was just him who needed the flip-flops. Everyone else was prepared. We wanted to hang out with Jared. And so we follow him. And we just kind of assumed this guy knew where he was going. Incorrectly. So we, we follow him, and we take the subway, and we get off at, at a subway stop. And, and uh, Jared's face was uh, paler than usual. And he's kind of curious. At, but he's trustworthy, right? So we just he just starts wandering, and we, would like little ducklings, just kind of wander behind him, right? he eventually walks up to this woman, and uh, I don't know why he picked this woman to talk to, but he did, and he starts talking, and it's very clear uh, early on that she does not understand any English. But finally, he says the words Pearl Market, and that clicks. She's like, oh, Pearl Market! Like, yeah! And then she just starts walking. She doesn't even, like, gesture. She just starts walking. And so now I'm trusting Jared, who's trusting this woman, and so we just start like little ducklings followed, you know, two, two duck parents. And, and we're walking for a while, for a while. And we're thinking, okay, maybe we're going like a secret way, like, like sh- she's gonna lead us right there. And then we turn down an alley. Now the best way I can describe my alley experience is um, the tunnel from Willy Wonka. Uh, if you've ever seen a live animal die That, that was, that was like, I was like, oh my gosh. And and the horrors only continued, but trustworthy people, right? We just, we just keep trusting and following. We get through the alley. Um, I've, I've, one of only a few times I've actually been terrified of my life. And then she leads us (laughs) across this, like the busiest road I've ever seen. Just like, like walking across JFK. And we're just kind of like froggering across, right? Like the, the cars are whizzing by and we're like, hold on. I'm like, all right, jump now, you know? We finally get across this road, and she just does this gesture to a bus depot. And we had passed like seven on the way, and, but this, this was her solution, was get on a bus, and we were like, this is not the Pearl Market, right? And, and Jared felt terrible, you know, like he had, he had led us on this wild goose chase. Fast forward seven years, and uh, there's another trip that is actually just passing through uh, Beijing on its way to Mongolia for a very similar kind of trip. Just a cross-cultural learning, learning different, uh, g- getting different exposure. And, and uh, there's another Jared in charge. Spoilers, it's me. And uh, I, I'm there, and, and, I, and I was like, I'm, I'm not going to be Jared. I'm, you know, like, as trustworthy as that guy is, I'm not going to get us lost. <laughs> um, uh, no, a little background to the beginning of this story. This is important. Uh, Jared, me, decided to save 200 bucks a ticket and go the wrong way around the world. So we actually went to Beijing through Germany, as one does, right? Um, so we uh, had spent 36 hours <laughs> traveling so we could save, like, you know, $1,400. Oh, they were mad at me. We got there at uh, 8 a.m. in the morning, and, and you cannot fall asleep. You have to stay up to adjust. So what are we going to do? We're going to go to the Great Wall. Great Wall. And so, uh, I talk to this driver, I say great wall, he says great, we hop in his van, and uh, he drives us, and you know, everyone's already crabby and tired, you know, people are seeing things, they've been up, you know, they haven't really slept, so everyone's like delusional we get to, we get to the great wall, and uh, like I said, it's on, it's on a mountain, right? So we go up, We I haggle for a while for these tickets, they give us these tickets, and I just presume that I know where I'm going. And the little ducklings are none the wiser, right? So we just walk up this mountain, and uh, it takes probably a half hour of walking up this mountain. We walk to this gate, and are like, hey, we, we wanna go to the Great Wall. And they just say, you need a new ticket. Now what they meant to say is you're at the wrong place, but they were trying to get me to buy another ticket, right? So. At, at this point, my wife breaks down. Like, everyone's like, Are you serious? We've been up for 36 hours. You've led us up the wrong mountain. Are you kidding me? And I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm the new Jared. Like, I, I am that guy. And the reason I, I share that, that story with you is as uh, I think, uh, uh, as I look back on trustworthy people, you know, Jared is, is someone that I would count as trustworthy. Everyone on that trip kind of implicitly trusted me. But the truth is that trustworthy people still let people down humans, as trustworthy as as some of them they may be, the the most trustworthy of them will still let you down at points. And we accredit this failure, this flaw to God, right? We might say we trust God, but when we say that, we might still be thinking of these humans who, despite all of the, the wonderful things that they are, still at times let us down. And And we attribute this to God so that when we say we trust God, we don't really mean it. We mean... I trust God if the outcome proves it, right? I trust God if he delivers. But as I've looked at my life over the past few years, I realized that that's that's not fair to God. And honestly, he is is not like any man. And he's more trustworthy than we can possibly imagine. And we're going to look at that from Peter's life this morning, This, this incredible story, um, it's titled, In Your Bible, Where Jesus Walks on Water. I think that's kind of burying the lead. Um, Jesus charges through a storm. Like walking on water makes it sound like he's kind of like walking across your pool. Um, this was in the middle of a storm. Six to 12 foot swells, right? So he's not walking like in a straight path. He's doing this, right? He's, and he's charging straight through this awful storm. And also, the other lead is that a, a person, not God, walks on water. That's incredible. Peter walks on water. So I, I, I think that that's kind of bearing the lead. But nonetheless, that's the story we're going to be in this morning. We're going to look at three reasons why we don't trust God. And uh, you know, with that is why we can trust God and how trusting God allows us to live a more than life, right? We've talked about love and worship. And, and love and worship gets you in the door. It starts your journey. You begin loving Jesus and you worship him. But then you still have this life you live on this planet. And all these circumstances that happen. And trust is the vehicle that sustains your love and worship and keeps you going and, and helps you endure to the end. So that's what we're going to look at today. So three reasons we don't trust and then um, why we can. So let me pray. And then uh, we're going to be in Matthew fourteen, twenty-two through 33 this morning. Jesus, you um, are worthy of our trust. And uh, you've given us your word. God, would you speak clearly through my mouth and would the meditation uh, of my heart and, and the words that I say be pleasing to you? And um, yeah, God, would you help us as, as, as a people to, to say, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you, God, are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Would we say that? Would we cry that with our hearts, God? Um, I look forward to, to, to speaking with you, God, and, and speak it, you speaking through me um, in your name. Amen. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So we've got um, all sorts of aspects to the story. Let me give you a little bit of background. There's this immediately right? This word jumps out at you, it says it three times in this passage, immediately. It c- communicates the the urgency and the action of Jesus, right? It wasn't passively, it was immediately. And here it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now, this story uh, is on the back of another fantastic story in scripture, uh, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. So this is immediately after Jesus feeds the 5,000. And um, that story uh, needs to bear some mention here. The The apostles had just been on a journey to uh, spread the gospel, and they come back, and the day they come back to Jesus, he wasn't alone. He had droves and droves of people with him, and as you can imagine, the apostles are a little exhausted, right? They just got, got back from a trip, and they're probably looking just to rest and relax, but here are thousands and thousands of people, right? And, and Many of you might, might be able to identify with this, right? Have you ever had like a long day and then you get that phone call from a boss or a friend and you're like, are you kidding me? Like, I just want to go to bed, right? And that's where the apostles are. They're on this long journey and then there's thousands of people. And the apostles try to like sneakily get Jesus to like send the people away. They're like, we, you know, we just got back. He's like, I know, but I'm going to preach. And they're like, okay, fine. And they're like, but hey, we have no food. And Jesus is like, ah, oh, you feed them, and they're like, with what? And uh, I can, you know, one of one of the apostles is like, well, I don't know if this was like if he was being sarcastic. We don't know the tone. He's like, actually, I, I saw a little boy who had a couple loaves of bread and some fish, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't like if the other apostle was like, shh, don't say that. And they, like, and Jesus is like, great, let's pull for this kid, and uh, feed all these people. And I'm like, right, sure. But what Jesus does, and we don't know how the miracle goes. We don't know if he was like bibbity-bobbity mountain of food, right, in like uh, this huge mountain. But I kind of imagine—I have an active imagination—that like they just keep passing passing like empty baskets, and he's like, whoop, whoop, and he just keeps like talking. And they're like, "Where's this coming from?" Generally, like, I don't know where it's coming. I have no idea. And then the apostles get to be a part of this miracle. It's pretty amazing. They get to be a part of this miracle where they actually go and pass out the food, right? They are participating in Jesus's miracle. And that's amazing. They actually get to feed all these people. And finally, after everyone's fed, after it's all done, Jesus then immediately here, right, sends the, the apostles. Okay, let's get a rest, get in the boat, and go across the sea. And Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray. And so he starts praying, and um, Jesus did this regularly. It's, it's, a, it's a habit that, that I um, need to learn from him, where he would, in the middle of busy seasons— spend time with his father alone, just spending time with God. And so he goes up to this mountain to pray, and, he, and the apostles are going across, and, I, you know, I don't know what they were thinking, right? Like, oh, finally some time without the boss, or, you know, like, I have no idea how they were feeling. But then a huge storm rose up, and uh, at, in this sea, it was, uh, there was mountains on all sides, and there was kind of like this tunnel through this mountain right into, right into the sea, and it would cause these huge, unnaturally large swells for the, for the size of, of, sea, of uh, basically lake to us, but the size of, of sea that it was. So six to 12-foot swells, right? I, I'm a short person, so at least taller than me, right, from, from bottom to crest, or double that. Huge swells. And they're in a fisherman's boat. They're not in, like, the Titanic. Never mind. Uh, that... <laughs> Not the best example. They are in a fisherman's boat, okay? It doesn't have like a hull. There's like no, there's nowhere underneath to go. It's just a flat boat about this high doing this, right? So they're terrified and they're fighting this water. Meanwhile, Jesus is up on this mountain praying and he uh, decides, all right, I'm I'm gonna go across to the other side, but I know a shortcut. He doesn't walk on land. He walks right through the storm. And I love Mark 6.48 actually says that Jesus had intended to pass them. So it was like in his mind, I don't know if he's walking like this, you know? Like, like are they, oh, they going to see me or are they going to see me, right? Like Or like the new, new York, like, ear pod thing, right? Like, what? Um, he's just he's just barreling on through <laughs> through the storm, and they catch him. And they see him. And they cry out in fear. What I'm guessing probably the fourth watch of the night, by the way, is between 3 and 6 a.m. They'd been fighting this all night, and then they see someone walk on water, and they are freaking out, and I'm sure it wasn't a manly cry out. I'm sure it wasn't like, oh, I'm scared. It's a ghost, right? They're like, oh my god, you know, like panicking. It's a ghost! Like A couple of them are middle schoolers, right? So can you imagine what they're doing? And I I also imagine, like, this frenetic activity on the boat, right? They're not just like, ah! They're like, ah! You know, like, running in circles. They're panicking. And uh, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking, okay, so what are the reasons we don't trust God? And, and immediately, the, the, something just spoke to me about this, that they, they had seen Jesus do the miraculous over and over and over again. By this time, he had already calmed another storm that he was trying to nap through. They wouldn't let him. Here, here he is again, and, and the, f- the first reason that we don't trust God is because we don't recognize him. Sometimes we don't recognize him, and I don't want to belabor this point. This, this isn't um, kind of the, the, the biggest issue, but I, I wanted to bring it up because it was, it's very personal to me this week. Um, yeah, just just on, on Tuesday, I was uh, spending some time with God, journaling, and I struggle with some anxiety, um, that makes, yeah, I struggle with anxiety, not some. That makes, it's, I struggle with anxiety and have for about a, a year or so, uh, maybe even longer. And I was journaling and, and um, kind of panicking. And I'm looking at this last year and um, trying to figure out, okay, like, who, who am I? This, this is a question I ask all the time. Who am I? Am I this? Am I a preacher? Am I a disciple maker? Am I a leader? Am I supposed to be doing this job? Am I supposed to be doing that job? Am I supposed to be doing that? And, and I'm just begging and begging and begging God to tell me, who am I? What am I like? What's my identity? And, and, I, and I could feel this freneticism working up, and my chest was heavy because I was so panicked, worried about who I am. And this is my question of anxiety, is who am I? What am I like? What am I supposed to be like? What do other people want me to be like? Blah, 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 blah. blah. And I pause, and this, uh, this was the Holy Spirit. There's no other way I would have been led to this. I'm journaling, I'm journaling. and You should see this page. It kind of looks like beautiful mind-ish. I got like arrows, and, like a diagram. There's like a post-it. I get to this point where I just, I just wrote down the question, who are you, God? And immediately, it, I could feel like, <sighs> off my chest, off my shoulders, and, and the spirit said, finally you are asking the right question. you are so concerned with who you are you have you have missed who I am to you right we are we get so obsessed with who we are that we don't recognize who God is and his character and what he's like and what he's like in the midst of stress what's he what he's like in the midst of anxiety we don't recognize God. And, and it, was, it was interesting because I'd been journaling all these, like, these Bible verses about God's character, but I, I had been using them to, like, try to justify, am I like this? Am I like this? And it was like, God saying, it doesn't matter right now. I'm these things for you. And sometimes we just need to pause and recognize who God is. We just got to pause and say, I'm not God. He is, Right? And, like, the last five days, friends, like, I have been crying at, like, the sunrise. And, like, like, life has just been so much more beautiful because it's not about me, you know? I could recognize who God is. So they don't recognize him. And then um, Jesus answers them, right? They say it's a ghost, and he says, take heart. Take heart, which, uh, be courageous, right? Be, be courageous, do not be afraid. What, what is the reason for them not being afraid? And I love this. He says, do not be afraid. It is I. It's me. God's proof, Jesus' proof for them not being afraid is his very person, his character. And his character is good. That's why it was encouraging, right, to them. That's what provides the courage. And this brings me to the second The second reason we don't trust God is we don't, or we fear God isn't good. We fear he isn't good. But Jesus appeals to his very character. The other day when I was journaling too, I, was, I wasn't just journaling through this year, I was journaling through the year before. And um, the year before uh, we came to New York uh, was a mess. We had uh, experienced personal loss, um, we were living in someone else's basement. We were raising uh, a lot of money to come to New York without, I wasn't, I wasn't involved in any way in like ministry myself. I wasn't doing like the job I wanted to be doing. I was raising support and we had no idea what was going to happen when we got here, right? We had no guarantee of anything working, None. And as I was looking at my life, I was like, okay, so why am I anxious? Because the truth is that we got to New York. God did provide all the funds we needed. He did uh, speak in, into other people who have experienced loss the same way through us. He, we, we, very rarely do you get to see God use your loss so quickly. He used it in other people's lives very specifically. We're living in, in a great apartment in New York. We have a washer and dryer in our apartment. That's amazing. Right, and, and, I've, and I have all of these reasons for why I shouldn't be anxious. So the question is, why was I? And it dawned on me, with Jesus' words here, he doesn't say, take heart, do not be afraid, I'm going to stop the storm. No, what he says, he says, I, I am good. And the truth is, is that no earthly outcome will ever be enough for our trust. No earthly outcome because I've experienced all of these blessings, and yet I still doubt. Why? Because it's never enough because there's going to be another situation and another storm and something else. And immediately, what's going to happen is I go, God, are you good? Because I need a better outcome. But Jesus is, doesn't say, I'm going to give you an earthly outcome. He says, It is I. We need to be convinced of God's goodness, and He is good. And specifically, the, the aspect that, that I am just feeling so much right now is his good presence. That Jesus, when he died on the cross, and then when he walked out of the tomb, he says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you peace incarnate. And, he, and, and I'm going to imprint him on you. Nowhere will you go, he won't. He will be with you always. Always. And the only thought that has given me comfort is God's goodness in the midst of pain. That previous year when we, ex- when we were experiencing all sorts of pain and suffering, the only thing that, that really stuck was, God is good because he's here right now, right? And this is trust. Trust isn't in an earthly outcome. It's in our current heavenly reality. In reality, right now, the Holy Spirit is right here. Jesus is right here. And no matter what happens tomorrow, the next day, the day after, he's going to be right here. This good God who died for me, who gave his life for me, who sent his son for me, who wants to be my father, he's right here. And no earthly outcome will change that. And yet we keep hoping that that the earthly outcome wins our trust, right? We need to be convinced of our current heavenly reality. He is here. He is good. And no matter what comes, he will be here and he is good. So God's goodness gets Peter out the boat. Peter says, all right, if it's you, tell me to come. She's like, all right, sure, hop on out. So Peter hops out the boat. And I have, you know, I just kind of had this imagination of like, what are the other apostles thinking? They're like, surely he's not going to get out the boat. Oh my gosh, he hopped out. You know, and, and I just imagine, like, James and John, the middle schoolers, like, you know, like, oh, he's gonna sink, look, he's gonna sink, right? Classic middle schoolers. And yet, Peter just starts walking, right, to Jesus. His eyes are fixed on Jesus, right? And again, it's not a pool, it's a storm, right? So it's requiring Peter to, to keep his eyes fixed, right, as he's moving. So it gets, it gets him out the boat, but then wh- why does he start to sink, right? You have this amazing success story with Peter. He, gets, he walks on water. Peter, we know what a, what a mess up he is. He's walking on water. Why does he sink? It says he sees the wind, which you can't see, which meant he saw the water probably at this angle and starts to panic. Like, water's supposed to, you know, it's getting whipped up by the wind and I'm starting to freak out. And he starts to sink and as i as i think about my own life and, and you know i trust i trust that god is good but there's another there's another kind of tenant of his character that's very important because sometimes we trust god's goodness we we see his power and sovereignty but do we do we trust that he's actually wise that he knows what he's doing this is our third reason right is because we doubt that god is wise so we get started and then we're like all right we're here oh my gosh this is terrifying right like 3 months into living in new york I'm on a train that hasn't moved and I'm like an hour late for a meeting. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here, right? Like, this is crazy. I'm getting pushed by, by this stranger and it's not personal, but I'm still angry. What am I doing here, right? Do we trust that God is wise? Do we trust his wisdom? And friends, just like the goodness aspect, no outcome will, will prove that to us. Because we can always say the next outcome, you need to prove yourself again, God. So how do, how do we trust that God is wise? Well, uh, one is, the, and, and good, right, is that we, we dwell in his word. We, we, we meditate and, and ingest his word like crazy where we see his good character and we see his good plan. And, and the other way that we trust his wisdom is that we, we think about and meditate on his plan, right? That he, in his wisdom, decided instead of saying, hey, you shape up and come to me. He said, I'm gonna do everything necessary to buy you back. And he outlays this beautiful plan to buy each and every one of us back, right? Another way that, that we do this is we raise Ebenezers. It's, uh, it's a term that I just made up right now. Just kidding. Um, it's, it's an old-fashioned term, and the reason I use it is because it's easy to remember because kind of, it sounds like a made-up word. Every word's a made-up word. It doesn't, doesn't matter. So um, we raise an Ebenezer, and it's this old thing that uh, God had his people do. Whenever they saw faithfulness, they would kind of build this little monument to say God was faithful there. And so, something that I've been I've been doing in, in my journal is that I've been drawing this little dumb like rock picture, on a day in which I've seen God do something. So I remember God God did something there. He knows what He's doing, you know. But we need to be convinced of God's wisdom. So Peter uh, begins to sink. Says, "Help me, <laughs> save me." And Jesus is gracious enough, good enough, right? He's good. He doesn't say, "Peter." You deserve to sink, <laughs> right? You got yourself into this mess. He picks him up, and we always read this next question. As, as like, a, like a Jesus, we, we kind of read Jesus as like an angry school teacher, right? Why do you doubt? You know, slap on the hand, right? But the more I read scripture, the more I'm convinced that Jesus was a friend. Why did you doubt? You were doing so well. Why, you know? You made it out here. They get back to the boat. Jesus says to the storm, "Enough!" It stops, and that's where the story ends. But how does the story end for Peter? Like, does he actually change and grow? He does. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna see this story in uh, Acts uh, three, and this this story is actually kind of the prelude to a couple weeks ago where we talked about Peter standing before the the group that was responsible for crucifying Jesus. This is how he got there, okay? Uh, Acts 3, 1 through 7. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And I love this picture because it's a picture of trust. So Peter and John were, uh, this this was a holy day. You're not supposed to heal people on this day. Interestingly enough, there's days on which you're not supposed to heal people. You're not supposed to heal people on this day. And he's he's and Solomon's portico, by the way, is like right, like in full view of all of the the Jew of Jews, right? Like this is where they would go to worship was on this mount. So everyone's watching. This is the gate, right? This is like the gate to everything. And Peter, trusting Jesus, says, get up. Now imagine if he said that and the guy couldn't get up. What a risky move this is. Like if the guy isn't healed and doesn't get up, Peter's made it look like a fool. He's now screaming at a guy who can't walk. Right? This is risky. This requires trust. And he says, get up. And the guy gets up. And then all of a sudden, everyone who saw this, who's just been waiting for a reason to go after these new Christians, has their reason. He has healed someone on the Sabbath, and they gather, and now Peter is in the midst of a different kind of storm. He's in the storm of public opinion, which honestly is more terrifying for Peter. Peter loved loved what people thought of him. He wanted them to love him, but he doesn't give into that. He trusts God's goodness and his wisdom, and then he gives them a little message and here's this message and this I will close. And now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, right, listen, friends, listen to the plan. This this has been the wise plan for for eternity that, that his Christ would suffer. He thus fulfilled, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send The Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Short and sweet, trust God. He's good. He wants to give you refreshing. He wants you to repent and and have your sins blotted out, right? He's wise. He's been putting this plan together for all of time. And in in this message, Peter is also displaying trust in God's goodness and his wisdom. That whatever's going to happen, as he's preaching and potentially death. His Messiah was killed for doing what he's doing. Potentially death. He's gonna trust God's goodness and his wisdom and display that to others. And that's the beauty of trust in living a more than life. So when you begin to trust Jesus, no matter what's happening, it's contagious because it's beautiful. No one else does this. Everyone wants their situations to prove that their life is good, but we know that we have a good Savior who lives with us, and no matter what happens in life, my God is good, and my eternity is secure. That's a more than life. That's, that's the life that I want to live, and I'm gonna invite you to join me in that. Would you join me in living a trusting life that we would trust God more than than what we see, than what we have have experienced? Would we raise Ebenezer's to his faithfulness? Would we devour his word and see his goodness and his wisdom? And would we recognize him? Uh, I'm going to pray and the band's going to come up and do one last song. Um, Yeah, God, thank you. Thank you for, for your goodness and your wisdom. Would you speak to us now about who you are? And as we sing a song about all innumerable reasons to praise you, would you call to mind for us instances where we've seen your goodness or your wisdom? Would you help us to meditate on them, God? Would we would we see? and recognize who you are. Would we take heart and be courageous? Whom have we in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth we desire besides you. Our flesh and our hearts will fail, but you, God, are the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. Amen.